In today's episode of VFM, the Pensions Podcast, we are talking to Louise Farrand, Executive Director of the DCIF and freelancer extraordinaire about what value for money means to her. Welcome to the 36th episode of VFM, the Pensions Podcast. And as ever, I could not be happier to be joined by my co-host, Darren Philp. Hello, Darren. Hi, Nico. How are you? Very well, thank you. Very, good. very well. Good, good. And I know sometimes I end up rambling about Arsenal at this point yeah, oh, no. um, of the podcast, <laughs> just to get in there early. But I'm not going to do that this week. Our listeners okay. will be glad to know. Um, <laughs> But I am going to ramble about the Miami Dolphins. So um, people who know me and know about my consultancy know will know that my consultancy is named after a Miami Dolphins coach. Yeah, Don Shula. <laughs> yeah. And um, Miami um, beat Denver Broncos 70 to 20 at the weekend. It was the second highest score in NFL history. Amazing. Yeah. And um, they had an opportunity to get the highest score. Yeah, right. and with a field goal right at the end, but out of respect, they didn't do it because they didn't want to embarrass um, the other team. Oh, how sweet! It, I thought that was very <laughs> sweet, but also, um, what a great result! So, you know, I'm I'm happy this week, Nico. Oh well, I'm glad to hear that sportsmanship and sporting excellence both still exist. Uh, and particularly that they can be found in American football, because obviously that's just sort of rugby with lots of stops, isn't it? So um, I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Uh, but look, let's I, you, you, you put me straight out of my comfort zone, Darren. So we're going to drag us straight back uh, to welcome Louise, Louise Farrand. Uh, so welcome. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Thank you for having me. I hope you're not going to ask me about football. <laughs> no, cricket. We're, 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 we're saving yeah. cricket for you. <laughs> Absolutely nothing about cricket. So, as Darren said, you're executive director of the DCIF, of course, very famously edited both Pensions Insight and Engaged Investor. And now you are the freelancer extraordinaire. So you are most welcome. Big range of experience we can talk to. Thank you. I don't know about freelance extraordinaire, but I'll take it. I'll stick it on my LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, if you want an endorsement. <laughs> um, if, it, if it means anything for Darren or I to endorse you, then we're going to be It means a lot, Nico. You Does know it? That. You know that. I don't respect anyway, those Anyway, we're rambling. We're rambling already. You know, we're only talking <laughs> to the podcast. So, um, as ever, we start with the the the, um, the news. Um, so, Lou, um, what fantastic pensions news stories have you got for us today? Well, I've cheated and I haven't brought in a pensions news story. Sorry. What? I've brought in quite a serious news story, really. Um, it's all about serious thinkers. Um, mm. And it's it's a piece in the Times. Um, What's Nico? Piece... Who's been writing about Nico again? <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought Nico would like it. Oh, okay. And you, Darren. Serious thinkers that you are. Anyway, this article is called These Days Anyone Can Pose as a Serious Thinker. And it was all about the Russell brandification of popular discourse, where people are pseudo-intellectualising uh, popular discourse in society and how damaging it is. Shall I read you the last paragraph? Yes. Oh, go on, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, go on then. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, first of all, James talks a bit about um, how conspicuously absent in modern discourse are public intellectuals of the sort that he grew up reading and listening to, uh, people like Richard Dawkins and mm. Mary Beard. Uh, and these days, he says, and so public discourse is in the worst possible hands. Comedians, tweeters and assorted grifters don't <laughs> have their place. But mine is inevitably a profession of generalists. Our all too complex age demands brave expert voices more urgently than any other. Instead, we are left with the heirs of Russell Brand. Um, and I guess what what got me kind of you know scratching my own head and, and looking deep within my soul was um the bit about journalists being generalists and i think that mm. is so true mm, mm. um and and i think when i left um my job as editor um what i was hoping to do is kind of do less of the meetings and the general chat and a bit more kind of head down thinking 
Um, mm. But in the nine years that I've been freelance, I would say that has remained a struggle for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I would like very much to kind of get my head down a bit more and do some more serious thinking. And I was saying to you guys very seriously that in the second half of my career, I hope to do a bit more of the answers because I think as journalists, we're really good at asking great mm. questions and listening to what other people think, but perhaps less good at going, here's what I think. So I'm sure you guys are going to challenge me on that today. Well, you know, like to say that you're worried about being a journalist when you're a pensions mm. journalist. Like that's a bit <laughs> I know, of a, right? you know, a defined um, contribution pensions journalist. Pensions journalist. Yeah, it's just you're like, right. you know, talk Who am I kidding? Logic. <laughs> oh my kidding I know I'm not really a journalist I suppose um, I'm not really a um, yeah that's just a lie but um, <laughs> even within DC pensions it feels like there's so much going on all the mm -hmm. time doesn't it you know with net zero and climate change um, on, on one hand and then all the investmenty stuff um, and I obviously work in a fairly kind of deep divey role within investment so understanding everything that's going on um, and all the new labels and um, new types of investment that are constantly coming out keeping up with all the different funds mm. um, and then you've got all the governance stuff and the comms and the strategy it is actually quite wide-ranging isn't it pensions even dc pensions it is it is mm. I, I wanted to come back to the serious thinking um yeah as you as you hoped i'm sure yeah yeah <laughs> so um i'd say first off i think you've certainly commissioned some serious thinking louise mm. i wouldn't want to name names but uh, uh it's, 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 it's the same that the people she commissions don't always deliver isn't it okay. yeah, yeah yeah on time if on not time. on content you know. oh <laughs> no so um yeah, no, look, I mean, I, I, I'm sort of, uh, there's a Kirk Vonnegut quote, which is um, the greatest horror, I think, is to wake up and realise that your classmates run the country. So I, I do wonder yeah. whether, um, you know, there's a sort of respect for age and serious thoughts that as one grows up, one sees less of it amongst your kind of colleagues. Um, yeah. And I mean, I, it's interesting, the sort of framing of public intellectuals. I think there are different countries have different cultures of public intellectuals quite differently. So someone, he's mentioned Dawkins. It doesn't mm. feel to me like Dawkins is a British public intellectual, but in the, the no. way that he plies his trade seems to be kind of in America, really. Um, mm. And, um, you know, he's a, he's a sort of, I'd see him as a scientist, right? And obviously he's written some books. Um, I would think of someone like Christopher Hitchens as the kind of the, the obviously uh, dearly departed, but, um, mm. and, you know, he's probably 100% right that there aren't, you know, a new generation coming through of of that kind of public intellectual. Um, but I just I just wonder if the medium of the book or the medium of the kind of long form television interview is the thing that he sort of misunderstood. I, I, I mean, I watch a few kind of good uh, essayists on YouTube. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think there is kind of serious thinking going on there. Um, it's yeah. just not digestible in the same sort of way so um mm -hmm. yeah i don't know so it, it worries me if people think that there's no serious thinkers because uh it's probably that they're not uh, promoting themselves in the same way as the the heirs of russell brands <laughs> and um, also we all live in an echo chamber don't we mm. so perhaps the serious thinkers aren't maybe they exist but they aren't heard in yeah. the same way that they once were and i think that's a bit of a worry isn't it if you kind of get into these echo chambers um where everyone agrees with you yeah it's a bit of a worry isn't it well, well that's what social media algorithms do Lou. so yeah. i don't know what it says about who you're following on twitter or <laughs> x or whatever it's now called but... <laughs> oh god i've stopped doing twitter you know i just yeah, found I know. again it's when i went freelance i just found it so distracting yeah, you yeah. know when you're again when you're trying to focus on something uh, constantly having it popping up at you where you think oh i want to respond to that and before you know it, you've wasted an hour chatting mm. away to nico and darren yeah, it's yeah, worse about things we agree with each other. About. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Retweeting each other. So, so, you, so, so you must have another pension story, Louis. You're not, you're not going to um, just get away with, um, you know, one generalist story, are you? Oh, well, I mean, I'm actually writing a pension story at the moment that I'm quite excited about. I can give mm. you a little trailer if you want. When does this yeah. come out? Uh, uh, in a, in an hour. Yeah, in an hour. <laughs> okay, I won't give you any stats but, then. No, but uh, I am, my, my, um... Mine was a, is a deliberate segue to your other interesting story that you had, which of course <laughs> oh. is nothing about pensions. Well, it's not a pension story. Of course it, I it isn't. I know. Trolling me. 
Okay. Um, so, so the other story that I um, thought I'd bring in is the FT story that came out a couple of days ago about Dyson. Um, and I think we all probably realised that um, Dyson very much values collaborative thinking and works in a different way. He's quite divisive um, in the way that he's discussed um, in the kind of business world. And of course, one of the things that really got Dyson in, in the headlines was their insistence on um, everyone coming back physically into the office. Mm. Uh, we're all, I think, sitting in our respective houses today. No, no, I'm right? in the office. I've just got, You're uh, in the office. I've got a delusional got... background, illusional background. Okay. Is that that real? It's better saying when you said delusional background. <laughs> no, I've got a delusional yeah. foreground. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a very fancy background. Um, but anyway, many of I us. I changed it once, and I've not worked yeah. out how to change it back. <laughs> That's my tech well, I savvy. Think, <laughs> I think what I liked about this article is um, it actually was very balanced. It really represented um, well the pros and cons of working from home and um, how great that is in terms of flexibility and you know, mm. people with other commitments and work, etc. How good that's been for them. Um, and also some of the um, accusations that were leveled, particularly at Dyson, about um, you know making people come back into the office when they'd already had a kind of long-standing arrangements to work from home, etc. Mm. Um, but what I really liked about it was um, Dyson actually let the FT into the office and really um, responded thoroughly to mm. all the criticisms that had been leveled in this article. I think it was something like 27 former employees had spoken to the FT, but Dyson actually, rather than pulling up the drawbridge and clamping down the shutters which so often you get as a journalist they actually um, listened and responded quite carefully to each of the different criticisms um, and I just feel like you don't get enough of that anymore in journalism I feel like mm. again and maybe it comes back to this kind of echo chamber where everyone um, it's quite polarized and yep. this was much more nuanced article I thought that was a really good thing mm. uh, and I would like to see a bit more of that balance and kind of careful um, considered journalism and obviously the FT is a great source for that isn't it mm. or it can mm. be so do you think I mean maybe coming back to the sort of serious thinkers as well do you think that that kind of mm. nuance is lost you know that so, so that, that journalists no longer like the kind of nuance I know that corporates really struggle with the nuance because they're going like well if I'm saying it could be this mm. or it could be that then uh the story's going to be like you know these guys say it's that right <laughs> Well, yeah. no, no. So you give out this wishy-washy on the fence comment, and that means that whoever wants to write a mischievous story on either side of the issue can, right? Because yeah. you're going like, it could yeah. be that they're right, and it could be that they're right, you know? Yeah. You pick one paragraph or the other. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> As a journalist. In one sentence. Um, yeah. And, and uh, so, so I mean, uh, I guess it, it, it's great that I, I imagine Dyson's lawyers said, uh, yeah, of course you can come in, but we need control over whatever quotes you use and whatever quotes you don't use. Right. That yeah. it would have been a stronger it would be stronger than just the generosity of like, if you want to come in and learn how much of a dictator I am, you know, that's not that's not the game. Right. And, I, and, and the FT is a good place for that, I'm sure. Mm. Yeah. I mean, don't even get me started on copy control and how that mm. has evolved in my 15 years of journalism. My God. Yeah. <laughs> when I started, you could very much say, no, thank you. No. no. Yeah. Um, I'm recording this conversation. And, uh, well, and these days, um, yeah, there's a lot more control that goes on behind the scenes, which I think is a very bad thing for democracy. <sighs> I remember having a conversation with you, I think it was on Twitter or LinkedIn um, a few years ago, where you were venting your frustration that someone oh, would God. ask you for copy checking and quote checking yeah, and things like that. Yeah, one of that. my bugbears. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just think uh, people, you know, journalists, it's our job to report and represent things accurately, isn't it? And I think it's a bit of a sort of sad state of affairs where um, we're no longer trusted to do that job, although perhaps in certain parts of the media, um, journalists have abused that trust over the years so mm. it's a two-way thing isn't it? as well it's a two-way thing yeah. yeah yeah but I take that very seriously um, and I like to think that I'm I try to be a bit more considered um, yeah. and I think most corners of the pensions press um, and the business press do do try to take that seriously well, we yeah. can come back to that when we talk about our new section, but uh, Ooh, I did yeah. want to talk about um, Jenny Siegel, who we had on the show uh, probably in May, Darren, scratch oh, my head. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it, we, we filled your, dear listeners, we filled your weekly uh, podcast with so much great content. Um, so Jenny was talking about her hybrid working book. 
April, Nico, um, the 20th of April. It. There we go. There we go. Which number? <laughs> so um, she she has this great wheel of talking about um, essentially the tasks that you do as an individual and as a team and talking about whether you're better doing them at home or whether you're better doing them in the office as a group. And if yeah. you can go through this kind of actually reasoned process mm. uh, to work out kind of what proportion of your day or your week is divided between stuff that you're better at home, stuff that you're better in the office, then you can come up with this sort of consensus as a team, consensus as a business as to how much you should be in the office. And, and one of the things that I think um, is sort of explicitly ruled out by her process is this sort of top down you must be in a certain number of days of the week and potentially mm. it is these days of the week. So, um, yeah, no, it, interesting to have uh, James Dyson kind of reasoned with. Did did he come to a different conclusion as a result of the discussion? No, I don't think so. <laughs> nah, that's not going to happen, is it? <laughs> no, but they put forward his side of the story very effectively, which was uh -huh. basically, you know, Dyson is an innovative company. They need people, the inventors, to be... Yeah. Um, together in person to collaborate and I, I do get that and um, I do I was just saying to you guys earlier I do miss being in the office with other people to bounce mm. ideas off yeah and I, I think it does make us better at our jobs when we uh, bounce ideas off other people of course it depends on your job but yeah. um, for a lot in a lot of creative and I guess the sciences as well industries it it does help thinking I think when you mm. when you can bounce ideas off people and um just chat a bit I, I think also it depends a bit on if you're an introvert or an extrovert yeah. I'm definitely an extrovert and I really miss that's the one thing I love um about um these sort of chats and podcasts is, is coming on and, and chatting to people again um because yeah that is a big contrast for me now uh tucked yeah. away in my shed in Devon <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> most of the time it's not only a shed conversing though, with it? my husband I, I, no it's a shopping a shopping a shopping <laughs> it's it's a hybrid uh, space this is a shed. Upstairs is an office. Nice. Office. You've heard it here first. Yes, yes. Heard it here first. Yeah. Have a two-story shed. We do. We sure do. We inherited it. Wow. Uh, yes, only accessible via a ladder at the moment. Okay. But we're, we're working on that because it is a bit hairy trying to get up there with a coffee and laptop <laughs> on your phone. Yeah. And it walk. sounds like a barn to me, but there we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you a picture for your show notes. Excellent. Excellent. We gave up Excellent. on the website, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well, we sort of haven't. Because oh, I thought no. we put it into my website, so you know there oh, is. I, a, see. I haven't. Uh, yeah, I'm not very good at updating it. Anyway, moving on. So, Darren, <laughs> what have you got? What have you got? Okay. My new story. Yeah. So, um, this has picked up across a number of the pensions publications, but I've got professional pensions um, uh, website open in front of me at the moment, and this was um, some news that came in yesterday, and it was TPR issues first ever climate reporting fine to a scheme. Okay. That's not a surprise. Yeah. Um, but then it goes on to say Exxon Mobil pension plan fined £5,000 for failing to meet TCFD reporting regulations. And it's just like, you know, if there's if there's one pension plan or a, a, a sector of pension plans that you don't want to mess up TCFD reporting yeah. regulations is probably, you know, in the ballpark of that sector. Yeah, so anyway, it's yeah. not a surprise because everyone's learning about TCFD and all of that type of stuff. But yeah. but basically, from I don't know if it's reading between the lines or not, but um, it wasn't a criticism of the report as far as I um, It was just an administrative error, uh, which meant that they failed to publish on their website um, at yeah. a particular time. Um, and yeah. you get £5,000 uh, fine, which is nothing for them. But but the irony um, of the whole <laughs> TCFD, ExxonMobil, um, and the fact that it was just a cock up, yeah, <laughs> that meant you get fined. It's just oh, anyway, anyway, that's my. Um, that it, it's, it, it just sort of. I didn't. I didn't really know what to think. <laughs> Nico, you're the intellect. <laughs> oh, the serious thinker. Yeah. Um, no, it's hilarious, isn't it? I mean, um, uh, you couldn't make it up. So, so they um, the the TPR prodded them. So TPR went through the 80 schemes who were obliged to be in the first wave, uh, and couldn't find it on their website. So, mm. so they they phoned up and said, guys, uh, we, you know, we, are we just bad at navigating your website? And they went, oh, whoops, <laughs> we have done it. <laughs> we have done it. 
Um, so, you know, six days later is, is published on the website. So, um, I mean, look, there's, uh, there's, there's cautionary tales for all of us and there's lots of hubris and laughing too hard at them because, yeah. uh, you know, webs and uh, admin and all of that stuff. Uh, it, it I imagine the trustees, the trustees must have been fuming. Yes. Yeah. They must have spent 12 to 18 months thinking about TCFD. Goodness knows how many thousands of pounds on advisors, the data extract from all of the asset managers. Everybody's pulling together to do this thing. And it's like the last mile. We just trip over our own shoelaces. And oh. um, yeah, so, you know, uh, fair play to TPR from finding a way to, to, to promote their fine regime. <laughs> um, that would have got good headlines. Um, and it had to be an oil company, didn't it? It had As to be well. an oil company. Do you know what I mean? It's just, oh, yeah. gosh. Well, As it's one say, of the ones I didn't I didn't read it. But um, uh, so for the work that I did with you, Louise, and, and the DCIF, one of the questions that I had was whether master trusts would be thinking about covenant risk of DC members mm. um so the extent to which a master trust might be biased towards sectors which are going to be at risk due to climate climate yeah. transition or potentially adaptation um and none of them said anything uh but i imagine exxon uh must be one of the kind of in the lines where covenant risk is very very material mm. so um yeah. i understand when we spoke to we had tpr on stage um uh, we had brendan and we had the, at the launch event um in yeah. may oh god that was april uh, as well probably wasn't it <laughs> yeah it's definitely early spring yeah let's just call it early yeah. spring yeah. let's just call um, it spring it's safer it's spring yeah. yeah it was just 2023 it's all it's all blurring into one now isn't it know, yeah. um but you know they were saying look um there were schemes that talked about covenant risk um mm -hmm. so yeah I, I i assume an oil major would be kind of up there and i i guess that the trustees would be pretty concerned that you know, if there was a deficit and uh, presumably now there's a massive surplus because of their uh, trustonomics uh, LDI policy um, mm. that, uh, you know, up to that, you might have been very concerned that, that they'd stop pumping oil. Right. Um, mm. So, yeah, interesting interesting but they're there but for the grace of god go us in terms of publishing stuff on websites right indeed so. <laughs> indeed it's happened it's happened to everyone isn't it yeah so is it trustonomics or kamikazeism well it's the combination isn't it, it it's because uh, we've learned in the last week that there was nothing wrong with the policy um no. <laughs> there was no, nothing wrong with not. the mini budget um i was at a dinner the other day and someone said thank goodness it was a mini budget <laughs> <laughs> just, just imagine what would have happened if it had been oh a maxi God. budget yeah we'd all be living in devon yeah, yeah. <laughs> well the pension Wait. schemes would now own the country i mean that's yeah, they the... would. <laughs> yeah, they would. Wait, nico what you got well, I mean, I, I don't think we've got any pensions news, has we? So I'm going to talk about uh, the Financial Times again. Well done, the FT. Uh, story about Richie Sunak to tout pro-car agenda at the Tory conference uh, in a pitch to voters. So, um, yeah, there's a number of different things here. So, so the Sunak team has said that uh, the number one thing people say on the doorstep is that uh, people should fix potholes. Um, that's the number one priority for the country, uh, which is good news yeah. because the NHS, uh, you know, our crumbling schools, uh, high speed <laughs> to uh, lower down the pecking order uh, yeah. in the minds of the voters. So uh, yeah. the next next general election must be in the bag. Um, <laughs> so amongst the kind of uh, remediations here uh, is this sort of bizarre centrism where central government, um, you know, can put the brakes on local government who might want to introduce 20 mile an hour zones. Um, who might want to introduce low traffic neighbourhoods. Um, so this sort of freedom of the motor, motorist mm. is a repression of local government. I think it's quite this interesting sort of cognitive dissonance uh, for a sort of semi-libertarian party to be um, kind of dictatorially, dictatorially offering you know, freedom. It's like, OK. Um, and uh, yeah, obviously, there's a lot of uh, worry about high speed, too. So, so recording on Friday, um, I think uh, 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 there's a there's a consortium of Manchester interests um, who are basically asking for clarity as to whether the the, uh, the that Y leg uh, from Birmingham to Manchester uh, via Liverpool is is going ahead. Um, yeah. So yeah, all of these sort of policies which may well force people into cars um, as opposed to 
giving people sensible choices when you know they they want to catch buses and trains uh i mean louise you're 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 kind of in 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 the in the well it's not the shires in in, in the countryside oh, yeah. very much the shires yeah <laughs> i mean i only passed my driving test when i was 35 a couple right of years ago. yeah so i feel relatively like smug about having not driven all those years <laughs> certainly yeah. in london i was always like i don't need a car it's completely fine but yeah living here um it became apparent very quickly that i would need a car because you can't really get anywhere apart from mm. to two neighboring towns um mm. except yeah basically to get to any beach here you need to drive a car um, right. and the lanes are a fairly hairy experience for a, a new driver especially when confronted head-on with a tractor that's not braking yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and you've just got to get out its way so that's been a, a deep dive into driving but yeah um a, some friends here have um, a fleet of electric cars two electric cars um, mm. i'd love to have an electric car but um alas there's nowhere to charge it and i can't get a charger because we haven't got parking as uh, naive ex-Londoners, we didn't really think parking was very important when we bought our house. It turns out parking is quite important. Right. Uh, yeah, and it would be good to have an electric charger, really, and an electric car. But yeah. Um, and, and Darren, you were saying it's not so bad in other parts of the shires. Well, I, I've got an electric car um, mm. and it's perfect for us because we just sort of totter about time, uh, about, sorry, about time, around town um, a lot of the time, a lot of the time. I didn't know they could um, travel through time. Well, you know, this, this car is special, you know, it's a DeLorean. <laughs> about time. <laughs> and um, we, we went on holiday to Pembrokeshire and it was North Pembrokeshire. And you know it's a, it's a long old way from from mm. Tunbridge to to there, and we had yep. to charge it a couple of times on the way there. But it was it just worked, and you know we were pottering around, going to local beaches, doing all the sightseeing stuff, and you know I was a bit worried. You know I did have battery anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although you know we didn't have any problems at all, and it was a really pleasurable experience. Had to plan a bit. You know had to had to, had to think about it a bit. Um, but yeah, it's okay. But I think you're right, Lou. Yeah, um, having a charger at home is a game changer mm. on it because mm. then you know uh, you just plug it in overnight. Um, you know, get an overnight sort of charging car tariff where it's a lot lot cheaper, um, and their Wizzy app that you have to manage it does its yeah. business. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So I just so, uh, I, yeah, this on. is only slightly related. Yeah. Um, uh, but um, there was a, a BBC news story from yesterday. Ulez. Uh, yeah, which is the London um, ultra low emission zone. You know, it sounds uh, like a football chart, doesn't it? You les, you les, you les. <laughs> uh, and, it, and it's policing minister Chris Philp. Yeah. Oh, here we go. In a Facebook group that praises camera vandalism. Yeah. So oh. um, Chris Philp, who is the minister for policing um, and he's the MP for Croydon South, is a member of a social media group. Some of whose members have celebrated the vandalism of Ulysses cameras. So I just wanted to, well, again, it's quite ironic, isn't it? Um, policing minister, um, be, you know, being on the said Facebook group, which I think yeah. is being run by the local Tory mayor as well. Um, okay. So anyway, um, but anyway, I just wanted to put on record for our listeners, there is no relation. Yeah, there is oh, no I just want to make that clear. Yeah, okay. just to make that absolutely 100% crystal clear. That was the first place I went. That was the first place I went. Me too. Um. <laughs> so, Lou, that's enough chat about the Lou's. No, the, 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 the Lou's. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I, I, uh, I've got a, I've got, I've, we've got this new section. Come on, come on. So, uh, because we, we, we should explain why we don't have any pensions news. Um, and uh, we, we, we haven't quite developed it, but there is the press releases news of the week uh, segment <laughs> that we need to be thinking about. Uh, because, uh, yeah, there was a there were a number of stories this week about um, spoiler alert. Uh, if you contribute more, you'll have more in your pension. Um, but uh, there is not enough going into pensions. And if you're young, you're going to get a worse pension than the old. Um, a lovely piece from Adrian wondering whether CDC would offer something different in uh, Adrian Balding, I should say, uh, in, in between DB and DC. Um, so so uh, we do like to cover these stories occasionally, uh, but I guess we've there's a sort of sense that we've had a bit of our fill. Darren, you found a fantastic title, I think, a headline. Oh, it was something um, I can't remember it now. And I've, I've shut my, my window down, but it was better. Better investment growth leads to um, higher pension. Pots or something like that. <laughs> it's just like, the um, but, 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 but coat, like you know, both Lou and I work in PR. This is our bread and butter. You well, know, this, so this I, is what I we do. Ask, I, so, so, I don't so, work so, in PR. 
you saw <laughs> no you're you saw you're it. on the buy side so um <laughs> so, um Rude. you know do you do you think <laughs> Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a, there are a lot of magazines that will kind of just print press releases, possibly put mm. a couple of words in front and, and after. I mean, is that has that sort of risen in your time, do you think? Or is that just was always mm. that way? It was ever thus, I'm yeah. afraid. Um, and, you know, it's difficult when you're working on a magazine, you've got to get 40 pages out a week or whatever. Yeah. And, and and the thing about PRs as well is they're often really good writers and it's quite <laughs> annoying because you get this perfectly written press release and you're like, this, I do need to write about this because someone important has moved somewhere else important, but yeah. how can I change this? And yeah. you sort of end up reinventing this already fine wheel. So I do understand why people copy and paste, but mm. obviously from a purist point of view, it's uh, not ideal. <laughs> yeah. I just always found it. So every time I've taken a job, yeah. Uh, you know, if you you get all these Google alerts a week or so later, which is literally the same story five yeah. to 15 times, depending it's on the identical. success of your piece. It is literally identical. Oh, and, yeah. and some of them don't print it all. That's that was I'd be saying is the biggest innovation between magazines is people who are like actually will only use the first four paragraphs, not the fifth. You know, there <laughs> <laughs> we go. <laughs> Yeah, um, like, I've done my job today. I have fulfilled I, my mission of journalistic integrity. In, which is a very nice segue and a, a, and a means of um, shutting Nico up for five minutes. Um, to, ask, to, 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 ask, to ask you, Louise, how you got into pensions and how did you get into journalism? Oh, my goodness. So I left uni in uh, 2007 and then went traveling. Uh, obviously, 2008 wasn't a great time to be job hunting. Mm. Um what with you know that financial crisis that feels like quite a long time ago now, but Asian financial was quite crisis, a big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Global. No, 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 Exactly. Well, let, let's. We, we, so Darren, of course, okay. was quite senior in his career by that stage. Uh, oh, I yeah. was. I was just only in age. My A levels. Only yeah. in yeah. age. <laughs> Louise <laughs> hadn't got to school yet. <laughs> We're only like four years apart, Nico. I, I know. Like I know. You're much older than everyone else. But... No, no, no. I, I'm saying you've achieved much more in your in your fewer years. No. Stop. Darren's, um, Darren's so... stuck in the slow lane, aren't you, mate? No, no, no. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. <laughs> Although I do think there's an interesting point here about, you know, the fact that we're all kind of, we've all been around a little while now. And um, mm. it's interesting because I remember when I started in pensions, everyone would say, oh, it's the same old ideas coming around, you know, year after year, decade after decade. And I'm starting to see that now. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this is just like with profits. You know, <laughs> I'm becoming that person, the old sage. Um, but anyway, I'm sorry, I'm getting off course. Um, we're a terrible trio, aren't we, for getting distracted? So my degree was in politics, and I was like, great, I'm going to go into financial PR because it sounded mm. quite serious and interesting. So I went into financial PR, managed to get a job. I don't know how really, but got a job. Was um, there for a couple of years, and I realised that I was actually quite rubbish at PR. Um, so when I say I'm not a PR, it's just because I'm not very good at it. I'm not very good at that bit about picking up the phone and just calling someone. I know I know from our conversation, it sounds like I would be, but honestly, I hated that. I'd sort of shake and sweat and get really stressed oh. about making this cold, cold call to some editor who'd inevitably be very busy and on a deadline <laughs> and livid that you've telephoned with this annoying press release that he'd just seen anyway and slam the phone down on you. And I just hated it. I was yeah. too much of a little snowflake. I couldn't handle that at all. Um, but what I discovered I did like was the writing. And I was like, great, this is this is good. And I had a friend, uh, good old Andy Sheen, I'm sure you guys remember him, um, who was at the time, I think, features editor of two pensions magazines mm. called Engage the Best and Pensions Insight. And I remember we went to a gig together, Ladytron. Um, oh, somewhere yeah. in North London, possibly Camden. And Andy's <laughs> like the tallest man ever. And I just remember wishing I was... I had his viewpoint very jealous um anyway and I remember him saying we've got this job um on the magazines and so I went and I met the then editor Maggie uh in the pub as you do and we, yeah. we had a good chat about the magazines and I ended up getting a job there after some slightly more serious interviews and a writing test and stuff um and yeah it just kind of went from there and then 
I mean, I just summarize it usually by saying, and then everyone left and then I became editor, which is basically <laughs> what happened. Mm. Um, and yeah, it was an amazing time to, well, I just learned so much in those, in those years, really. Mm. It was so mm. much fun working with this little team and it was so busy, but we just had so much fun going around and meeting the rest of the financial journalists in our little corner of the world. Uh, we'd all see each other at everything, um, usually with white wine in hand. <laughs> Um, somewhere very glamorous back back in the day if you see I'm becoming one of these back in the day people now it's mm. <laughs> it happens um, to us all <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then a few years passed and I had a great time doing that and then um, the DC investment forum came mm. up I mm. had um, they were looking for someone to uh, basically run it and and be the sort of babel fish kind of thing so all the asset managers would talk about the research that they wanted to do and then my job would be or someone's job would be to try and translate it into great research projects and I thought this sounds really fun mm. and it was two a week and I thought great because then I can do other stuff as well such as write my uh, much lamented book which still hasn't been written my novel which all journalists no, not everyone will admit to having a novel that they want to write but uh, they will do trust me um <laughs> so yeah back then I was like right I'm going to do that so I think it was 2000 God, it was nine years ago, two thousand, how many years ago? Nine years ago, 2014. Yeah. Yeah. I went freelance. It'd be nine years ago in November um, to do that and to write my book. Which ah. So when, when, when are we going to see this book? When are we going to see this book? What's the oh grand God, plan? It's how I know. Well, the idea for this book is obviously, as you can imagine, over nine years evolved um, continually. So. It's about five books. Not making any promises that it's ever going to come along. <laughs> oh no it should do it does it have do. anything to do with dc pensions that's the you know what i did once write a book about pensions uh for tpt um i don't know i don't know if it came out it's that's a funny thing about um my job is often you end up writing 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 and it's your life and yeah. your universe and then you send it off into the ether and um off it goes and you're mm. like goodbye then <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of a fun I, I, one I, you I, learn to let things go i never saw it at the top of the um, um amazon bestseller list or nominated for the Booker Prize. That was a good learning experience though, because it was a book about the history of pensions, and I learned a lot writing it about mm. the history of pensions. I'm not sure I remember much of it now, a year and a half later. Um, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Bit of contracting now, bit of GMP. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. All that. All that. Have chapters on all those things. But yeah, you kind of um, you learn something, and then and then it goes out in one ear and out the other ear. Unfortunately, yeah. Free love. Yeah. Kind of goes back to that whole generalist point, isn't it? I, mm. I want to hear it. We weren't we weren't prepping for this, but I want to hear about your novel. I've, I've got an imagination that it is a sort of steamy romance uh, <laughs> based <God>. based <laughs> in financial PR. But oh my god! Honestly, the amount of times I've sat in a room in some very fancy office and thought this would be a great place to set a steamy romance, wouldn't yeah. it? I don't feel like one's been done in like asset management. I feel like it's very glamorous, and yeah, that <laughs> could be a outside. great Milton Boone, couldn't it? Yeah, um, that has occurred to me a few times, but I haven't so, written that one yet. Um, I quite like to write a thriller. I think uh -huh. a thriller would be fun. Uh -huh. I, when I left nine years ago, it wasn't to write a thriller. I think I was going to write a sort of social, fighting social comedy, but right. haven't done that yet. Um, and yeah, increasingly I'm thinking, I've got quite a vivid imagination. I often think about like scary things happening, you know, like when I would walk home at night from something at uni, I'd always be like imagining my death and writing my own obituary in my head. That's, that's my kind of imagination. <laughs> So I think I'd write a really good, uh, like a mean thriller. So uh, okay. watch out for that, everyone. Do you think I should write it under my name or under a pseudonym? No, pseudonym. Well, <laughs> but yeah. we need to let us know it's easy. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just put something up on LinkedIn, like uh, just read this really interesting book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, as a journalist, you have to declare surely your own conflicts there. Um, <laughs> oh, what do you mean? I don't have any conflicts with writing a thriller. No, no, but promoting your own thriller as if it's by someone oh. else. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? I've built up this whole following of uh, people who are avidly <laughs> watching the DCIF. I'm sure they'll be fascinated about to read my thriller. So when I was at university, I had a, a girlfriend whose father uh, was a bridge player. And he wrote steamy romances based in the world of bridge, um, including, yeah. and we should promote it, uh, I think it was called Jack of Hearts. What a great title. <laughs> that's a great title and um this girl was so embarrassed by her dad as you would imagine <laughs> so yeah i want to see the dcif uh the defined contribution pensions romance 
pass in the Mills and Boone. I think it's it's totally okay. neglected. Okay, um, I'm going to take that as a prompt. I'm going to write something. Okay. Well, um, you know, and about you, you, value for money, maybe. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Oh, um, maybe. Um, we'll we'll have to get you back on the pod. Yeah, when you when you're due to publish oh, it. Yeah, we'll we'll book you in now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, we should, oh, we should actually next, give you a deadline. We should yeah. give you a deadline. You should yeah. give me a deadline. And ideally in advance, because I tend to write more <laughs> than when someone's paying me. Um, <laughs> so, well, I, I did want to ask one other thing about the DCIF. So, because um, yeah. you've been there nine years now. So, I mean, what's the, you know, what's, what's I, would, I was going to say, what's the attraction, but what keeps you there? What's, what's the, <laughs> I've worked with yeah, several I'm, times. I love the you're DCF. Right. I'm Working with people kind of like you, Nico. Come on, let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> I have sort of glossed over my time at the DCIF, which I didn't mean to do. It's no, really, no. it's fantastic because imagine having a job where someone says to you, here is a research budget. Here is what we're interested in. Mm. Go, and, go and do something great and mm, work mm. with the best people you can find. And... Um, produce something fantastic I'm, and here's a blank sheet of paper isn't that cool what a yeah. great job I'm so lucky to get to do that every year and um, you know the, the point of the DCIF is to help people understand uh, more about investment particularly trustees and other decision makers back when the DCIF started I feel like DC investment was like at the bottom of the bottom mm, of a, mm, a long mm. long list of stuff yeah. and now it feels as though that that list is kind of turned upside down which is yeah. really cool and that's been a really great thing to watch um, over the years so now I feel like my job is less perhaps educating and more kind of questioning like are we going in the right direction yeah is this does this regulation make sense um, what can we do that will be kind of additive as a collection of asset managers to everyone's knowledge mm -hmm. so it's been a really cool evolution to kind of watch and, and be part of I guess and um, I've been to quite a few of the events and they're always really well attended, really good. Mm. You get some, um, you know, great contributors there as well. So um, just to name name one, uh, Richard Parkin um, is always fantastic. Yeah. And you get oh, other you. people that That's are good so as well. I am um, <laughs> definitely also fantastic. checking Nico in this. Um, <laughs> but I know you have done a lot of work for them, Nico, and yeah. your thoughts are very good as well, even though they're well, very kind. Um, and we should, of course, say that is there a pipeline from the DCIF into the BNY uh, architecture? Because Richard Parkin is upstairs somewhere. I'm in the office today. <laughs> yeah, I think BNY must be watching whoever we work with and being like, right, we'll have them. We'll have them. <laughs> so who are you working with now, Louise? That's the... <laughs> <laughs> well, at the moment we're doing another podcast. I, I don't know if it's a rival podcast. I hope it's an no, no. Podcast. Yeah, exactly. It's a, Complimentary. Yeah. Yeah. Complimentary. Yeah. Yeah. We're interviewing a load of um, CIOs of master trusts at the moment. That's mm. really, really interesting. I feel like one of my favourite things to do as a journalist, actually, is always profile pieces. And this is mm. kind of like a recorded profile piece, isn't it? Yeah. Doing interviews. Um, so, yeah, I've been really enjoying that. Um, Lorna Kennedy from Bailey Gifford and I have been in London and we've been doing like three or four podcasts a day. And then by the end of it, you can imagine you just kind of look at each other and you have no more words string together because <laughs> you've been focusing so hard on what they're saying and making sure I, you're asking sensible questions. I, I feel like that for having spent an hour with Nico every week. Oh, you're <laughs> so kind. You're so kind. Have you guys ever done a whole day of podcast recording in London? No, no we haven't. No, we, we, we record weekly. We, we record right. weekly. So, yeah. Yeah, we get it done. We get it done. So, as you know, we're it, very professional, Louise. We, we are. We are. Back. We are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no <so> time wasted. <laughs> is the um, is the is the DCI value for money? No, no, I didn't mean that. What does value for money mean to you? I think the DCF is great value for money. Um, what does value for money mean to me? Okay, so I've had this big conundrum in my head for many years about value for money, um, and I think it's ever since someone used the supermarket analogy, which is one person can shop in Lidl and think they're getting a great deal. Another person can shop in Waitrose or M&S and think they're getting a great deal. So my conundrum with value for money is it means something different to everybody. So how do you please everybody? I don't know. Yeah. What do you guys think? Oh, you're doing that journalist trick. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's well, I am a good. journalist. Oh, oh, damn. I, we didn't even see that coming, Nico, did we? No, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. didn't. So, so it's, it's, it's I haven't done my media training yet, so I can't answer. <laughs> <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> Thank goodness for that, we all say. <laughs> <laughs> I get some peace and quiet. Yeah, exactly. um, 
and then we go silent for five minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably, um, ten, probably ten, actually. Yeah. No, so, no. so when we had um, Robert Cochran on, um, I think he did um, a series of LinkedIn posts around what does value for money mean to you? And I, he gave the example of, um, was it, I can't, was it a Nor- Northern something rucksack that he absolutely yeah. loves? And North it cost, North Face, yeah, North Face, um, that he absolutely loved. It cost him a lot more, but it just makes yeah. his life easy. It's robust. Yeah. You know, he gets great value from it. And and I, and, and I think you're right, Louise, that, you know, different people value different things. So mm-hmm. just trying to create one overarching universal metric is very different. We have to in pensions. We have to make some assumptions about what people consider value for money. But I, I just think that that fundamental definition is is different to different people and that's what makes it so difficult like to me personally I've got to say um I'm I'm the waitrose person you know and I like buying the nice stuff but I'll buy less you know or I'll buy a nice item of clothing or you know whatever but I'll I'll buy one every five years you know I'm not going to buy something from Primark every week that's just not who I am I think that's wasteful um you know unless you really need the t-shirt from Primark obviously um (laughs) And I suppose I'm speaking from a position of privilege where I can afford to not shop in Primark. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? But for me personally, I'd rather buy something quality and buy it occasionally rather than buy a load of cheap stuff um, and have to keep replacing it. But how does that translate into pensions? I mean, for me, you know, I'd probably rather buy something that I think is is going to do better um, and is more broadly diversified mm. um, in investments rather than kind of being in a race to the bottom, which I think the DCIF has talked about quite a lot. Um, We're we're worried that um, master trusts have have kind of gone in a big competitive race to the bottom on cost and and seen that as the only measure of value. Um, Mm. And yeah, me, I personally don't think that's fair um, just to quantify value in terms of the cheapest. Mm. Um, But also I think, yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to ask consumers, wouldn't it? You know, and I could, then so, again, I think everyone will give you a different answer. Yeah, so so I think there's, I think we just, we've, we've got this term value for money that we're mm. trying to shoehorn so much stuff into. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, we've heard lots of views on this throughout the the many hours of episodes that we've we've done on this pod yeah and and there's some core constituents um of things that you're looking for from your pension yeah yeah so good investment return yeah, yeah. and you could measure that okay yeah. um and you wouldn't want to sort of you know um i don't think many people would want to you know would value having an app you know over having um and you know say you've got an app and you get negative returns versus mm. positive returns and no app, you know, you would hope that most people would value the positive investment returns because that's what that pension is about. So there's some core constituencies of, of pensions that um, are, you know, yes, you can probably benchmark, you can probably do some comparisons, you can boil it down to some facts and data and do a comparison, yeah? But that doesn't give you the full picture of value for money. Mm. Yeah, because, you know, we had Romeo on from Pensions B and she was talking about their customer service, their engagement and what they did. And for them, that their offering is very different to other organisations offering, which is less about that. And it might be more about strong governance or, you know, yeah. what, whatever it might be. So, you know, values in the buyer, there's got to be some quote on this that you can quote us, Nico, value being in the eye of the beholder or something like that. Or yeah, can we uh, quote that to DA Philp? <laughs> yeah, of course you can. No relation. So, um, <laughs> so I don't know. I, I, you have to draw the line somewhere, don't you? So, um, yeah. you know, because so, so people have spending choices. Um, is yeah. it is it fair for us to compare a uh, contribution into a pension with the Primark and uh, John Lewis, presumably, uh, kind of spectrum, right? So, so that it's all the same pot of money that somebody's got Absolutely. once a month. Um, is it fair to include which job they have in the kind of hierarchy and, you know, what, mm. where they uh, thought about university and where they, you know, at some stage yeah. you have to draw the line. I think I think the big issue with the the VFM framework as it stands is it sort of it's both too all encompassing and too not enough encompassing. Um, uh, for me, you know, investment performance is hard numbers. Um, mm. If we could just have sensible 
comparisons, the visibility of investment costs, mm. um, yeah. which is something that Darren and I have will say successfully lobbied for, but of course this may not be implemented uh, in our lifetimes. Um, so you know, achieved. <laughs> we've won the battle of, war, of of ideas and and not yet kind of started the battle for implementation. It, it all started from here, Nico. It all started it did. from here. It did. The <laughs> the uh, Philip Aspinall uh, amendments to the Pensions Act 2020. Will you tell me? Um, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? 2025 at, at the minimum, right? So. Um, you know, it could be that instead of talking about value for money of pensions, it is value for money of the investment proposition in pensions. Yeah. Yes. Um, that to me is tangible. Um, yes. It could be that it's about a comparison between employers and the amount they contribute to pensions, yep. which is where the adequacy mm. conversation comes in. Um, putting investment returns on the same footing, uh, not to say that it's unequal, but to put them on the same footing in terms of numbers as like engagement, big inverted commas, uh, choice, big inverted commas, uh, retirement flexibility, big inverted commas, requires thought leadership from the government, from those who are proposing to do that. And they've instead gone like, oh, you're the industry, tell us. And it's like, oh, mm. okay. <laughs> <laughs> but then we all of our lenses come in and we all have different views and then the government yeah. goes this is complicated isn't it you know <laughs> <laughs> yes it is yeah. but then but then if the government did it in one way then the industry would say hey, government hasn't listened to us you know the government can't really win can yeah I but i think eventually they would just be forced right and the government would use its powers sorry what shocking things did you say there <laughs> I said I feel more and more sympathy for the government and regulators trying to strike this impossible battle between making decisions and listening to the industry. I think it's a really hard um, thing to get right, to be honest. Yeah, um, I don't. I mean, uh, mm. I, 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 I don't want to let them off. Actually, um, <laughs> Fair I, enough. I, I, I think that we need we elect governments to make decisions, mm. and uh, one of the most worrying things in long-term policy is a lack of decisions on long-term issues mm-hmm. um, because they're not going away you know nope. um, we're getting negative briefing on the triple lock um, but they're not actually going to change the triple lock mm. um, so what is the fear well everybody thinks of our generation that the state pension won't be there when they come to retire that is toxic for the whole long-termism of pension savings right Absolutely. Um, so they need to come out and say the triple lock works the triple lock doesn't work the triple lock will stop in 2030 the triple lock will stop when it's this proportion of our they need to just give us what they plan and they're exactly mm. the same with frameworks of like value for money they need to say what the government thinks in my book value for money is mm. and laura trot won't even come on our show will she darren <laughs> we asked really nicely i want to give her the most important platform in dc pensions except for your podcast louise to talk to us <laughs> to talk to us joint platform to talk to, to the constituency about uh, what she thinks value for money is um and what what conclusions can we draw from that darren we're not famous enough. No, I think it's yeah. I think, I think it's just more about us, Nico. It must be. Did she ask be. about readership or audience at all? Or was it just a flat no? What it was a pretty badly. flat no, wasn't it? It was, yeah. It was. Um, so uh yeah, we need to go and tour ourselves around every other party's pension spokesman we until, do. We until do. That's uh, a good idea. That's, that's a, a good, good idea. idea. Why not? Maybe she's um, not sure what VFM means to her, guys. <gasps> Yeah. Well, or she doesn't want to talk about how she got into pensions. Um, <laughs> it could, it could Maybe. be. Maybe. She'd be like, um, I am in pensions, am I? Oh, no. <laughs> I would um, like to see Master Trust League tables becoming more of a mm. thing. I mean, I know some people publish them, but often it's proprietary data. I think mm. it would be good to see that really in the spotlight. Um, because we, as we've seen in some of those proprietary reports, there's quite a big um, gulf in terms of investment performance of those Master Trusts, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. There is. We, and we had John Greenwood on last week um, and we mm. talked about his um, Kappa. Um, was it yeah. last week? No, it wasn't last week. It was no, the week before last, wasn't it? Yeah. It was. Um, yeah. He was talking about uh, the Kappa tables that he runs as part of the corporate advisor magazines, which, uh, yeah. you know, that transparency is is great. Um, quite often, providers argue against league tables. Um, well, sometimes of course they do. And, but also, um, I think sometimes it's, they, they worry about herding on this stuff and lack of innovation. Um, yeah. But I do think the, I don't you know, think the trans- providers worry that, in fairness. I think the some of the consultants worry about that. I, I, right. I am concerned about that. Yeah. But you have mm. to balance up transparency um, with 
you know, are they if they're going if they're saying the big risk of us not being transparent uh, of us being transparent is that we would, you know, prevent our innovation, then you go, okay, so what innovation have you come up with? Mm. Exactly. Right? Crickets. So, okay, well, then yeah. just be transparent, <laughs> please. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Interesting. Interesting. Um, I'm glad we all agree. So we do we agree, thought? don't we? We've, we've always agreed, Louise, I think. <laughs> <laughs> we should have a big stand-up argument about something that would make a far more interesting podcast. <laughs> well, well, you know, it's like, it's, 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 it's not the, it's not the vibe we go for, Lou. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pleasant chat as people are walk, strolling through the park, maybe walking their dog or yeah. going for their Saturday morning jog. Yeah. You know, it's meant to be to, to their after school activities. Yeah, it, yeah it's, it's we we go for the soothing, you know, the calm. You guys are a bit like the male pensions equivalent of Fee and Jane. Do you have anything <laughs> um, to fortunately with Fee and Jane? Oh, it's wonderful. Oh, that well. really is a hot chocolate um kind of podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Not to distract from the brilliance of this podcast, of course. I feel like we're becoming very Alan Partridge in this moment. You're listening to the VFM. <laughs> <laughs> the Pensions Podcast. The Pensions Podcast. It. One of the, one of the best. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what would you like to see regulators and government do, Lou, oh on this? God. Which is a really oh. difficult question. But, you know, from uh, from your perspective, and you've written about this a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um, how do you, do, how do they sort of grab the problem by then, the, the sort of gruff of the neck, yeah, and actually really drive through change, or is it just impossible? Well, like I've said, I don't envy them because I don't think they have an easy job on VFM, um, because everyone has um, a different definition of it, and because employers have to make decisions on behalf of all these different people, it's not easy. I think the only way you can really, um, I guess, improve VFM is to be transparent um, mm. and to have, I, I know lead tables are divisive and I understand why, um, but, you know, ultimately, if you look at more sophisticated and advanced DC markets like Australia and New Zealand, they all have these lead tables. And I do think you have to shine a spotlight on what is doing well and what isn't doing well. And um, over the long term, hopefully that will become quite illuminating. Mm. Um yeah, that's kind of what I think. I think you have to look at, you know, keep measuring. How's it doing? How are we going? What direction are we going in? Are we doing the right thing? Mm. Um, and and actually make sure that the people who aren't performing as well are scrutinised. Because I feel at the moment there's a bit of a, a lack of scrutiny there. Mm. Um, and I know it's only been a few years. Um, and I know we're in this for the long term. But ultimately, you've got to build up a long term picture, haven't you? Mm. Of what value consumers are receiving and in a way it's quite surprised to me that there isn't a kind of witch guide yet why aren't witch on this there's a missed opportunity mm. here um, and it's something i've been wondering about for the dcif actually i don't know how um, the rest of the gang would feel about it but um i think it's important to be transparent and, and shine a light on investment performance and i think my managers would all agree i think yeah. that's right yeah and I think you just what you need is um, that consistent framework for measuring and to yes. make sure that when this stuff is presented, you're presenting mm. or you're comparing apples with apples. In Absolutely. And that, that is the difficult bit. I know one of the difficult bits. I know it's not easy to get it right, but we have to start somewhere, don't we? We do. We do. Um, pensions in sight. Yeah. yeah. Um, I always thought that was value for money. A, because you didn't have to pay for it and it was paid for sponsors. <laughs> but, but on a serious note, you know, I always thought it was a, a quality magazine with, you know, yeah. good, funnily enough, insight. Yeah. Um, but but I wanted to sort of focus on, you used to do these amazing front covers, didn't you? Oh, my God. Do you remember those? Of yeah. course I do. Which was, um, it was, this was, this was when it was the printed magazine. Yeah. yeah and I don't know if you can still find these online or whatever, but you used to do these cartoon um, covers of Pensions Insight that basically highlighted oh, the previous month's news in this cartoon or something yeah. that big had happened or whatever. You know, that must yeah. have been fun doing that, wasn't it? It was absolutely the best fun ever. We'd all sit around and brainstorm, you know, what's happened this month? What would make a great cartoon? And then we'd send these like demented emails to this illustrator going, you know, Steve Webb did this. 
Can you draw him as a cartoon on the back of a bike? And maybe there's some chickens and an aeroplane. And, you know, and, and I just can't even imagine that this illustrator would always nail it. And just know <laughs> on earth we were talking about. And the other thing that was really fun that we did was the top 50 people in pensions. I don't know if you guys remember that. And this poor illustrator would have to sketch out all the top 50 people in pensions, all their faces as cartoons. I really hope um, the people who were in the top 50, maybe some of those people still have um, those covers. I've still got a few pensions insights um, that I worked on in my shed, in the shop. In the shop. And, um, I love pulling them out from time to time because, yeah, it was the most amazing fun. And pensions insight was a kind of, we wanted to be kind of, I mean, this sounds very lofty, but we wanted to be a bit like the economist in terms of, you know, the non-attributed um, comment pieces mm. and trying to be a bit more insightful. And I just remember some of the my favorite things that I, I worked on were in that magazine, um, you know, in the era in the noughties when lots of um, pension schemes were these kind of millstones around companies' necks and, and getting to write the profiles of these companies and how, just telling a story about these pension deficits and how they had weighed down these companies to the point where, you know, sadly, um, the company was no longer viable and the scheme would have to the PPF. Some of those stories were some of the fav my favorite stories that I've written just because there's so much tragedy Mm. and pathos in in this idea that when db schemes were set up um everyone kind of thought this is a brilliant idea and there was this sense of um, doing right by employees but no one could have anticipated how they would drag down these companies over time and mm. um, speaking to some of the uh, trustee chairs who were involved in all that it was it was a great time to be a journalist you know mm. there's a lot of pathos in those stories um for you to kind of pick up on and a lot, a lot of great stories to tell. So yeah, I do feel very nostalgic about pensions in sight. Cool. Late lamented pensions in sight. Indeed, <laughs> indeed, indeed. Have we got anything else, Nico? Because I, I, I see the clocks ticking, people's trains Thanks are pulling away from the station or pulling into the station. Um, no, I, I, I just thank you, Louise. Uh, always a pleasure thank talking you. to you. Um, both of the times I've been an independent consultant, you you very much helped out. Um, we with pounced the, on you as soon as you've been pounced, independent. We've gone great. Pounced, um, yeah. kept me off the streets. There so, he is. Uh, very much didn't, appreciated. Didn't pounce on me. <laughs> oh, Sarah, it's a matter of time before we pounce on you. Don't you worry. Bounced off of you. You're so busy, Darren. You couldn't do oh, it. Could something, you? something like that. Something like that. <laughs> um, so anyway. Anyway, Nico, um, next week I'm speaking at um, Corporate Advisor uh, Summit. Um, yeah. Next Thursday, I'm on a panel with Mick McAteer, being interviewed by John Greenwood, talking about um, you know pensions policies for the next government. So that would be a, yeah. a nice chat. Have you got anything coming up, Nico? Uh, I have, but not next week. So I'm sure I'll kind of brief them. I'm, I'm, I'm just at the stage of getting dragged onto lots of panels in November. Um, nice. But um, I, I don't have them to mind. So I'll what, do, what, talk about what, it next once, week. Once, once you've done um, your media training, that is, yeah. No, I don't think I didn't need the media training to sit on stage, bizarrely. I need media training to go on TV. Um, oh, so oh uh, oh. Squawk Box and Bloomberg and all that kind of stuff. Why oh. you would want to interview me on TV about, you know, stock markets, I don't know. But um, don't tell Bloomberg that. <laughs> interesting. interesting, interesting. That is between us, Nico. It's yeah, yeah. Us. Um, and yeah, where do people find out um, about your DCIF podcast, Lou? Oh, you can go on dcif.co.uk and then there's a little page called Podcasts. So you could go there or you could go on Spotify or Acast or all your regular podcast apps. Um, <laughs> and um, the new season is going to be out, we're hoping, next Friday, which is very so, exciting. And we've got a great hmm. interview with Julius Purcell from Cushing. Ah, yes. Uh, yeah. but, but Julius He's is a brilliant. good thinker. He's have class, you ever seen Julius on yeah. this podcast? Wait, wait, yes, we have, come on, yeah. haven't, you yeah. haven't you been listening? You're like mate? episode two. I have, I have, but not every single one, I must admit. Yes. Not all 36. Fair, fair enough, 36? fair enough. 46 plus four special. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not my homework at all. Anyway, um, what, a, what a great episode. We've got yeah, a fantastic um, list of guests coming up. So we've got, and I'm going to pronounce this wrong, uh, we've got Liz Footy uh, next week. Um, Liz um, is, I think she's Chief Operating Officer of Rotic Media. So it'll be good mm. to chat to her. Um, we've also got Alistair Byrne. Uh, from State Street. Yeah. Um, so he's going to be uh, coming on and chatting us to about, about DC investments. And then we've got uh, Margaret Snowden, um, industry legend. Yeah. Um, 
and um, you'll be, I'm really looking forward to speaking to Margaret about, you know, her work on administration, her work on scams and, and just um, all round industry goodness. So yeah. really looking forward yeah. to that. Um, so, yeah, packed agenda coming up, which is yeah. which is good. Looking forward to December. We've got some surprises for you coming up. Um, I need to do a bit of oh, homework, don't I, Darren? Only if you deliver on them, Nico. <laughs> <laughs> Just putting it out there. So I watch this be a space. Christmas special where you bring back all your favourite guests. Well, well, we're not commenting. We're not commenting. No, no, no. That's not, that's not, that's not exactly what's going to Is it just because I'm not one of your favourite guests? Oh, well, yeah, that's not... <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> There's 40 others. It's a big list. It's a big list. Yeah, that's a um, big list. On a, on, a, on, a, on a yearly basis, we're publishing our top 52, basically, aren't we, Darren? Yeah, yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Right. Brilliant. Thank you very much for Louise. Um, always Thanks a star. Um, really enjoy chatting. Mm. Um, watch out um, climbing down the ladder from your, um, what is it? Um, I'm not in the shoppers at the moment, shoppers, but I will shoppers, watch the ladder. Shoppers, yeah, so we don't want to hear any stories about you breaking your leg and falling from the, the top tier. No, uh, no, we don't. But, but I learned something today, and it wasn't about value for money, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I only went that as Always in... Always glad uh, to yeah, be yeah, a teacher. You know, <laughs> about ladders. <laughs> About ladders. Yeah. About ladders. About ladders. All right. Shoffices. Shoffices. That's what I've learned today. <laughs> Every day we all need a shoffice. We do. <laughs> anyway, I'm calling time. So <laughs> till next time, it's bye from me. It's goodbye from me. And Louise? And me too. Goodbye.